Welcome to our study of the Gospel of John. I have fallen in love with the work of Paul as I've studied the book of 1 Corinthians, and I believe you will too. This is where Jesus taught in Capernaum, and you have to understand this scene. The Lord is my shepherd. And over the next six weeks, we're going to look deeply into the 23rd Psalm. Right now, media, it's for groups, it's for personal devotion, it's for parents. The bullseye of parenting is to raise children who become like Jesus. It's for kids. This is Phil. We're digging into the Bible, which, as we've mentioned, is more than just a book. It's for tough times. So when you recognize that you're trying to have a conversation with your spouse and they're not ready to talk, it's not helpful to keep pressing right. them up. It's for every phase of life. If you've made mistakes with money, you know what that makes you? Over 12. And now, it's yours. We've purchased a Right Now Media subscription for everyone in our church. So check your inbox for the digital invitation and download the app for instant access to thousands of biblically-based videos. Get equipped. Get inspired. Yeah, amen. You know, when I was meeting with our account executive for Right Now Media last week, they told me that nearly 30 of you have already downloaded the app. I was really impressed. That's pretty, it's pretty significant. That's over one-third of the church that has downloaded the app. So I'm very excited about that. And if you have not downloaded that and you want to, the instructions for how to do that are in your bulletin on the right-hand side. There's a special code that you can text to, or you can go to a web link and download it that way. You can put it on your mobile device. You could put it on your TV, any number of ways that you can do that. But I want to encourage you to do it because there are a lot of resources in there that can help you. And also on the right-hand side of your bulletin, I've highlighted three of those resources specific to the study of Mark, which is the book that we're in right now. And I want to apologize for kind of messing up there on the third worship song. I didn't know that my daughter was going to bump the remote. So uh, we'll forgive her because she is pretty cute. So, you know, it happens. So last week, we began our study of the book of Mark. And we learned last week that John the Baptist was the promised messenger who would come in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And he did this by preparing the hearts of the people to receive the coming Messiah through the confession of their sins, which then ultimately resulted in them being baptized. Now, why did they do this? Because a heart that is full of repentance is a heart that is ready to hear from the Lord and to follow the Lord. Repentance is not a one-time event. It is a lifelong, continuous commitment where we change our mind about our sins by turning away from them and turning to God. Sorry, I felt like the mic was a little hot there. I'm looking right at you, Diana. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Jesus will come to this earth again. And the greatest question we must ask ourselves is this, will I be ready? Will I be ready? And we talked about three motivations last week that will help us to be ready. And specifically, what these motivations will tell us to do. First, we will see the Lord God Almighty as he is. 
And that should motivate us to pursue being like him right now. Second, there will be some level of suffering before he comes again. And that should motivate us to persevere till he comes. And third, when he comes, we should all want to be found faithful. And that should motivate us to ensure we have the right perspective. What is the right perspective? Jesus is our master. We are his servants. And we must be living in expectation of his return. Now, to simplify all of last week's message down to three words for how to be prepared for when he returns is that it is all about our pursuit, our perseverance, and our perspective. It's all about that. Are we pursuing him by purifying our lives just as he is pure? Are we persevering through whatever's going on in our lives? And do we have the right perspective on who he is, who we are, and how we should be living as we expect his return? It's all about our pursuit, our perseverance, and our perspective. Will you be ready? Let's pray. Father, we invite you here. Fill us with your spirit right now, Jesus. Anoint our minds, our hearts, and our ears to hear the word of God today. And not just hear it, but to put it into practice. In your mighty name, amen. So the title for today's message is Prepare for Battle. Prepare for Battle. Last week was all about, are you ready? This week is Prepare for Battle. And we are continuing this theme of preparation this week as we see Jesus come onto the scene and get prepared for beginning his ministry. So turn with me in the book of Mark to chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 8. Today we'll look at the next five verses. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them here on the bookshelf. You're welcome to borrow. You can follow along on the screen, your mobile device. But I encourage you to follow along. So Mark says here, beginning in verse 9, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. So when Mark first introduces Jesus in his gospel account here, we see Jesus being baptized. And it's somewhat baffling as to why would Jesus be baptized? He doesn't need to repent. He's without sin. He is perfect in every way. So why would the sinless, spotless Lamb of God be baptized? Now, there are a number of reasons that commentators give on why Jesus is baptized, but the one that really stands out to me is that he was baptized so that he could identify with all of us as sinners. Remember, Jesus is both fully God and he is fully man. He experienced everything on this earth that we as humans experience, yet he had no sin. He came and fulfilled all that God required of him. It was his perfect righteousness that was made available to you and I by what he did on the cross for us. And this is incredibly amazing. Jesus was our substitute. 
He gave his life in our place. We deserve death because of our sins. There is not one of us that is righteous. There is no one who deserves anything but spiritual death. Yet Jesus took all of our punishment, all of our condemnation, all of our sins upon himself when he gave his life on the cross. Amen? Yeah, that's worth saying amen. Come on. You've heard me say this before. On the cross was the great exchange. Our sins for his righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, that is what makes baptism so beautiful. Baptism is how we publicly identify with the greatest sacrifice in human history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It means we have turned away from our old lives of sin and now to a new life in Jesus. And here's one of the most amazing and rewarding things about baptism. When a person is baptized, they are visually preaching the gospel because baptism is a reflection of the gospel. As the person is standing in the water, they symbolize Jesus dying on the cross. When they are lowered into the water, that symbolizes Jesus being buried in the tomb. And when they are raised up out of that water, it symbolizes Jesus resurrecting himself from the dead. Romans chapter 6, verses 2 through 4 says this, How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? I want you to think about that question for just a minute. If you've died to the power of sin in your life because of your faith in Jesus, why should we live any longer in it? Isn't that a great question? Are you guys awake today? Come on now. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is why when I baptize someone, you're first going to hear me ask the person, have you made the decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? First thing I'm going to ask, because this decision is made solely on the person's faith, because baptism itself will not save you. It will not. It's by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Jesus alone. This is what saves us. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's it. That is it. It's just Jesus. Now, after I ask this question, I will then say, as I lower the person into the water, I'll say, buried with Christ. And then as I raise them up out of the water, I will say, raised to walk in newness of life. It comes right here from Romans chapter 6. I'm not making it up. I'm just quoting what the Bible says. Baptism is an incredibly powerful thing. When a person makes this public profession of their faith, they are in fact committing to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Here is the commitment right here. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And then you see the picture here to the left. This is to simplify what all is going on here. You can see at the top, that's Jesus dying for our sins, being buried, coming up out of the water, he's resurrected. And when we do this, what happens with us? We die to our old life. We leave it. We leave it alone. It's gone now, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. That's what's happening. So when we are baptized and go under the water, we are dying to our old lives. All of our sins, all of our past, all of our self-centeredness, it dies. When we come up out of the water, we are leaving all of that behind, and we are now committing to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? Amen? That means we shouldn't want to go back to the old life anymore because now we're over here walking in newness of life. We've left it all behind. You have a fresh start in the Lord Jesus. Amen? Baptism is not only a public profession of our faith in Jesus, it is also a declaration of war against our enemy in Satan. It's like us sending Satan our very own declaration of independence. Because now we no longer belong to this world, we belong to Jesus. We are set apart to be holy as he is holy as citizens of heaven. And now we have all of heaven's army at our back. So the question is, why wouldn't you be baptized? Why wouldn't you be baptized? Now, I want you to seriously consider this. Baptism is an act of obedience. And Jesus, not needing baptism, he did it anyway to set an example for you and I because he always does everything his Father requires. So if you've never been baptized, what's stopping you? I want you to ask that question of yourself today. What is stopping you? What's stopping you from obeying the Lord in baptism? Please search your heart and seriously ask yourself this question. Or maybe you have been baptized in your past. Maybe somewhere along the way you were baptized. But then you got off that narrow path and you wandered off. And you're now ready to come back. You're, you're now ready to repent and return to, to the Lord. There is nothing stopping you from being baptized again. I don't care if you've been baptized five times. It does not matter. If you want to rededicate your life to Jesus by being baptized, then praise the Lord. Do it. If you were ever part of a denomination in which baptism was not full immersion all the way down under the water, maybe it was a sprinkling of water, maybe it was pouring water on your head, or maybe you were so young you don't even remember. Listen to me. That is not biblical baptism. It is not. Let me show you. Let's return to our text, Mark chapter 1, verse 10. Notice what Mark said here. He said, as Jesus came up out of the water. In other words, Jesus was fully immersed in the water. John didn't sprinkle water on him. John didn't pour water on his head. No, he was fully immersed. Also, Jesus was 30 years of age when this happened. Now, there's nothing special about the age 30, per se, as it pertains to baptism. The point that I want to make here is that Jesus was old enough to make the decision himself. It wasn't his parents' decision. It was his. And it should be yours, too. 
So if you want to be obedient to the Lord as Jesus was, then get baptized. If you want to publicly declare your faith, or if you want to rededicate your life to Christ, then get baptized. If you want to send Satan your declaration of independence, then get baptized. May nothing stand in your way of making this profession of your faith. Listen to me. The sign-up sheet for baptism is right over there on that table. So if the Holy Spirit is prompting you, I want to encourage you to obey what he's telling you. Put your name on that list. The only thing stopping us from doing the baptism today is that I ordered a heater last night for the stock tank that's in the storage shed. Thanks to Bob Baker. Bob, are you here? Is he here today? He sent me the link last night for how to heat the stock tank. So let that not be a barrier to you if you're concerned about how cold it is because it's going to be warm. All right? So sign up right there. I'm encouraging you to do that. Now, the next thing that happens in our text is in verse 10, and it is very interesting. Watch this. After Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens are torn open. The Greek word that's used here, and I would mention what that Greek word is, but I'll be honest with you, it's very difficult to pronounce for me, okay? So I don't know that it matters what that actual Greek word is, but the Greek word that is used for these words torn open is the same word that Mark uses later in his book when he describes the curtain or the veil in the temple that was torn. It was the one we sung about in our worship song this morning. That was the veil that was torn from top to bottom the moment that Jesus died on the cross. The significance of the curtain being torn is that we now have direct access to God through Jesus. No longer do we have to go through a mediator in a high priest who was the only one who could go behind the curtain into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. God tore the curtain to say, hey, I'm doing something new. And now you can come to me through my son anytime and anywhere. So this same word for torn open is used to describe the heavens being torn open as as Jesus comes up out of the water at his baptism. To me, this is like Jesus making this grand entrance into the world scene as the son of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a homecoming football game, but isn't it cool when you see the home team run out onto the field? And what do they do? They run through that huge sign that says, go team on it. What happens? It's torn open as the team comes out onto the field. This to me is similar to what's going on right here as the heavens are torn open. Also, I think that Mark using the same word here to describe the veil or the curtain of the temple being torn, that's not by accident. God doesn't do things by accident, does he? The tearing open of the heavens could very well be God saying, I'm about to do something entirely new through my son. Remember, there had been no revelation from God in a very long time. In fact, it had been 400 years of silence since the people had heard from a prophet. And then John, as the prophet, comes onto the scene to prepare the way of the Lord. And now the Lord is making his grand entrance into all humanity as a man, just like you and I, in the person of Jesus Christ. And the next thing that happens is the Spirit of God descends down through the torn open sky to rest upon Jesus like a dove. And so the voice of God says, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Now, the voice of God was actually a fulfillment of prophecy. 
It was a combination of what was said in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, and Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. So the psalmist said here in Psalm 2, 7, he said, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And then in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, the prophet Isaiah says, This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. In other words, I am well pleased in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. You see, this is an amazing moment right here. Not only was this prophecy fulfilled, we can now see the Holy Trinity in action. You have the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven to rest upon the Son of God. You have the Father identifying His Son. And you have Jesus as the Son humbling Himself in baptism. This is amazing. All three persons of the Godhead are seen right here in this text. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This event marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And what a grand entrance that must have been. Now there's some debate concerning what others who witnessed Jesus' baptism might have seen or heard. There's some debate about that. Did they hear God's voice? Did they see the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus? We don't know for sure, but we do know John the Baptist's testimony because it's revealed to us in John chapter 1, verses 32 through 34. Now, just to clarify this, this is the Apostle John writing the Gospel of John, and he's about to quote what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist, the Apostle John, two different people, okay? So here's, what, here's what's going on, verse 32. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit, talking about John the Baptist, I saw the Spirit descending down from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. What a testimony this must have been. Can you imagine seeing this play out right before your eyes? Can you imagine this? The Son of God, the promised Messiah that everyone has been waiting for is now here. And his first act in preparing to begin his ministry is baptism. He didn't need to be baptized. He had nothing to repent for. There is no reason for him to be baptized. But he humbled himself in obedience to God to identify with you and I as his creation some of you may need to humble yourself in obedience to God and be baptized again sign up sheets right over here water will be warm he provided an example for us doing himself exactly what you and I must do this is a God who doesn't just sit in heaven and shout his love to you and me no, he comes himself to this earth to show you his love. No, he personally comes to us. He lives among us. He lives as one of us, and he died for all of us. Friends, that is the good news of Jesus Christ right there. And what wonderful news it is, because it is the power of God to all who believe. Am I the only one today? Come on, that is exciting right there. Now, let's jump back to our text in verse 12. Mark here uses his favorite word, immediately, right? This is the word I said last week when I introduced the book of Mark that is used more than 40 times. Mark jumps from one action scene to another using this word. Jesus is baptized. 
He receives the Holy Spirit, and immediately the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Now, there's a very important detail that Luke mentions in his gospel that we don't see here in Mark about this same event. And it comes from Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what Luke records. He says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So before Jesus goes into the wilderness, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we know from our text that in the wilderness is where Jesus faces temptation by the devil. I just want to point out that before Jesus engages in battle with the enemy, he is first filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a lesson for you and me. This is where our strength comes from, and it's where all the power rests in defeating the enemy. So to be prepared for battle, we need to ensure we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So the question is, how can I be filled? First, let me say, there is a difference between having the Holy Spirit and being filled by the Holy Spirit. There's a big difference. Having the Holy Spirit, that happens the moment you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So it happens at salvation. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is an ongoing part of your faith walk. We receive the Holy Spirit the moment we, through our faith, receive Jesus. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says this, In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. So, having the Holy Spirit happens the moment we hear the gospel and then we believe the gospel. Having the Holy Spirit is entirely different than being filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is an ongoing part of our relationship with God. Now, it's simply us submitting to the Holy Spirit's lead in our lives or control. That's what's going on. So, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we allow the Holy Spirit to lead. That's what's going on. We allow the Holy Spirit to lead. And then we are empowered, we experience renewal, we have boldness to share the gospel, and we are free from the power of sin. The key to being filled with the Holy Spirit is obedience. That's the key right there. It's all about obedience. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit, right? That's to demonstrate all that in your lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, that's the fruit. That's what should be shown. That is the evidence, right, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Apostle Paul, he said this about being filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 15. Here's what he said. He said, pay careful attention then to how you walk. In other words, pay careful attention to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What's the Lord's will? Here it comes in the next verse. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but filled with. By, but be filled by the Spirit. There's the will of God for you. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does that look like in your lives? Here it is, 
Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So how we walk in our Christian life is incredibly important. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means we need to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. It's the Lord's will for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we then need to submit and allow him to lead. Now, I love how this passage ends. It ends with the fear of the Lord. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Then fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. What Paul is saying comes right near the end of Ephesians chapter 5. He first says you must be filled with the Holy Spirit and then, when we're, once we're filled, we're then to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. And then he goes into talking about all about submission. He talks about how to walk this out in our relationships. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, children to parents, employees to employers, and employers to employees. And right after that is when we get to his teaching on spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, which we already unpacked together in our basic training message series just a little bit ago. The point I'm making here is that to be prepared for battle, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be led by the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what happens to Jesus. Watch this. We go back to where we started in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, where we see that the key to being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be led by the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is how Jesus was prepared for battle. First, he obeyed his Father's commands by being baptized. Then he is filled with the Holy Spirit by yielding his will to that of his Father's. Now he is ready to do battle. So let's return to our text in Mark chapter 1, verse 12. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. Now, I love this because it shows that Jesus went on the offense, being led by the Spirit. He didn't sit around and wait for the enemy to come to him. No, he took the battle to the enemy by going on the offense. He didn't avoid the wilderness. He went straight into it. Now, if we read this same account in the other Gospels, we'll also find that Jesus fasted for 40 days. Now, what's the significance of that? He was telling his flesh who's in charge. He was telling his flesh who's in charge. Some of us need to remind our flesh who's in charge. Because if we don't keep it in check, it can lead us into all kinds of sin. Our flesh is the complete opposite of the Spirit. Now listen to me. We cannot be filled with the Spirit when we are following our flesh. Can't do it. It's impossible. Cannot be filled if we're following our flesh. Paul tells us clearly in Galatians chapter 5 what it looks like when we allow our flesh to dominate our lives. Here it is. Beginning in verse 17 of Galatians chapter 5. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit. And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. 
oh, that's good right there. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, in other words, because being filled and led by, same thing, you're not under the law. Right? That's what it's saying. Now, verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Here they are. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is serious. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 13 says that if we live this way, we will die, right? If we live this way, we will die. That's talking about spiritual death. Next week, I'm going to remind you guys as we go back to Genesis, what did Satan say? What did he say in the garden? No, you won't die. It's the same lie being propagated today. And God's word is completely the opposite. Romans 8.13 says, if you live that way, you are going to die. So, if we've given our lives to the Lord, then we should be living according to the Spirit, not the flesh. So why do we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I don't know about you. I've got a leak. All right? That's why I need to be filled, because one day I'm filled, the next day I'm on, almost on empty. I've got a leak. That's what's going on. I wonder if some of you have a leak too. So this is why it's got to be an ongoing part of our Christian walk. We have to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And so Jesus, knowing he's about to go into battle with the enemy, he puts his flesh in check by fasting. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. Why in the world would you make yourself seemingly weak when you need to be strong? And to our natural eyes, this is what appears to be going on. But in reality, we are the strongest when we are fully submitted to God. When we completely rely upon the Lord to meet all of our physical and spiritual needs, it is a complete dependence on Him. That's when we're the strongest. And that is the example that Jesus shows us in being prepared for battle. Now, one more lesson and I'm done for today. Did you notice that right after Jesus' baptism came the temptation? Did you notice those two were back to back? Remember, Mark tells us that Jesus was baptized and immediately he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. His baptism was absolutely incredible. What an amazing blessing it was to receive the Holy Spirit and to hear your Father's words, in you I am well pleased. That is a blessing like no other. But here's the lesson for you and I. Whenever there is a blessing from the Lord, look for an attack from the enemy. You can count on it. As you mature in spiritual warfare, you will see that this happens over and over again. And we got to be prepared for that. Every time I have led a discipleship group or a men's group, and we meet for the first time, and everyone's all excited about being there together, and they're learning about the Lord and how we're going to engage to do battle together, I always warn the group, get ready and count on the enemy coming to attack you. Get ready. He'll come at you in all kinds of ways to keep you from coming again. He'll come at you to keep you busy from digging into the word of God. 
He'll come at you through fear, through worry, through doubt, discouragement, discontentment, busyness, you name it. So be ready for it when he comes. The Bible tells us to resist the enemy and he will flee from you. This is exactly what we're going to talk about next week as we pick up where we left off today. We're going to see exactly how Jesus resists and fights against temptation. And it is a week you don't want to miss. Today, we talked about how to be prepared for battle. First, we are to be baptized just as Jesus was baptized. Baptism does not save us, but it does empower us because we are visually preaching the gospel when we are baptized. Next, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is simply us submitting to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to lead and control our lives. And we cannot be filled with the Spirit if we are following our flesh because those two are polar opposites. And the last thing we need to do is to prepare for battle, is to understand that after every blessing from the Lord comes an attack from the enemy. You can count on it. So be ready. Next week, we'll see how to do battle. This week was all about being prepared for it. Before Jesus began his ministry and took on the enemy, he was first prepared through baptism and was filled with the Holy Spirit. How about you? Are you prepared for battle? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us everything we need in the word of God. Everything. How to fight, how to be ready, how to be prepared, all of it's right there. I pray today, Jesus, that this doesn't doesn't become another message that we hear and we put it on the shelf and walk away. I pray, Lord, this becomes life-changing for us to be prepared because the fight is real. There is an invisible war going on all around us right now and the stakes couldn't be higher. It is so frustrating, Lord, to look out there and see what seems like the enemy winning. And we know that he doesn't win in the end. But right now, in this battle that we're in, Father, we just pray, Holy Spirit, for your lead. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to walk in obedience to you, walking according to spirit and not the flesh. Father, if there's someone here today that is ready to repent from a life of rebellion, or maybe they've walked away from you, or maybe they've never even made a commitment to follow you, Holy Spirit, would you draw them to you to have a relationship with you starting today? I pray that there'll be nothing that keeps them from making that decision today. Lord, remove all the barriers, all the fear, all the worry about it. Come, Holy Spirit, fill this room. Anoint us with your presence, Jesus. We pray for life change. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So if you're here and you need prayer of any kind, maybe you're struggling with something, you want to be released of it, you you want... um, deliverance from something. I'm here. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe your action item from today's message is, I need to get baptized. I want to I rededicate my life to the Lord. I've been baptized before, but I'm going to do it again, and I don't care what people think. Maybe that's you. The list is right there, so feel free to sign up. I'll be up here. I'd love to pray with you, but thank you. God bless you. Come back next week, because we're going to talk about how to fight to win. That's the title of next week's message, how to fight to win. God bless you guys.